Can we just give a hand to the worship team? They, they did such a phenomenal job. Woo! I almost didn't preach. It was that good. I thought, I better. But I'm, being, I'm paid to preach, so I better preach. Well, um, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, um, if we haven't met, my name is Charlie. I'm the youth pastor here at FUMC. I want to point out a, a couple quick things. Uh, if you remember last week, we spent some time talking about some of the things that I've seen and some of the things that I've gone through over the last 15 years uh, in youth ministry. We talked about things like uh, me having to call 911 and chase a student through the streets of Amarillo after he swallowed a handful of pills, attempted to commit suicide. We talked about uh, uh, me guiding a, a teen through an unexpected pregnancy and also guiding a youth ministry who had a member uh, in their youth group who uh, found herself unexpectedly pregnant. Uh, we talked about all of those things. And one of the things that I shared with you is that uh, it's tough to be a teenager in, in 2017. There's a lot of challenges that they face, and more than just challenges, there's a lot of pressure. Well, uh, one of the things that we do at FUMC, we actually host a, a church camp called Camp Nova. Uh, Nova is Latin for new, and our whole slogan for Camp Nova is be made new. We're hoping that students who go out to camp experience Christ in such a way that they feel like uh, they've been made new or renewed in some significant way. Well, up here on the stage, uh, you can see these little green bracelets, and, and they're kind of a mess. And I, I like that they're kind of a mess because that's an accurate representation of what we encounter when we're at camp. Uh, when we go to camp, uh, it's a lot like what I shared with you last week. Uh, last year was the first year we had Camp No. We had 160 campers, and we had uh, campers sharing that uh, they had been contemplating suicide before they came to camp. And this is for campers grades 7 through 12. Uh, we had campers who uh, got really nervous and anxious on Thursday because they knew Friday they were going to go home to an abusive parent. Uh, we had campers who were angry with God. Because why would God take their grandmother away who helped raise them? Uh, we had uh, campers with all sorts of questions and frustrations, and they were a mess. And that was our calling, and that's what we knew going into it, was that uh, we were called to help them, guide them through some of that mess that we call life. So what these bracelets are is we're going to ask you, Rick will tell you more about it here later on, but we're going to ask you at a certain point during the service to come forward and take a bracelet. Uh, it's actually a wristband, so it's kind of sticky on one side, kind of like what you get at uh, Wonderland. And we're just going to ask you if you just place it on your wrist, and for the next two weeks, camp's a, a week from tomorrow, so the next week and a day, when you look at that bracelet, uh, if you would pray for that camper, uh, I'm praying for Ty, and I have no idea who he is. But I'm going to pray that he experiences Christ and he's made new this, this, uh, the 24th to the 28th. But also, when you look at that bracelet, if you would also be reminded to pray for our leaders. We have uh, roughly 40 to 50 uh, camper, camp leaders who come and volunteer their time. Uh, I say volunteer. Uh, this is how crazy they are. They pay money to come to camp for a week and counsel kids and sleep in cabins that smell like teenagers. It's crazy. I don't know how they, I don't know how we convince them to do it, but they do it. It's just a pure blessing of the Lord. And so uh, we want you to pray for them as well. They spend a week away from their kids, uh, a week off work. So if you'd pre please pray for our, our camp counselors as well. Uh, also want to say that by far, uh, I've been here uh, going, I'm in my third year as the youth pastor at First Methodist Church. By far this parenting series is the toughest that I've preached. Uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, number one, I feel ill-equipped to be talking about parenting. I've only been a parent for four years. 
uh, but also just the daunting amount of information that's out there uh, to help parents make decisions. You know, do you spank? Do you not spank? You know, is timeout healthy? Are you, you know, destroying your lives, kids, if your kids' lives if you put them in timeout? All those different things. And so it was so hard for me to write these sermons because there was so much that was so good that I had to cut out just for the sake of time. And so I want to say to you, for the parents in the room, I want to recommend two resources to you. Both of these have heavily influenced this series. Both of these have heavily influenced the sermons that I wrote and the sermons that Rick wrote. Uh, the first one is called The Calm Parent. Amen. Right? Uh, and it's by a lady named Debbie Pincus. And this is a resource that belongs to the church. So if you want to borrow this, use it for a small group. If you want to get together with some parents and cry and hug each other and like then watch this video, uh, you're more welcome to do that. I highly recommend that one. And then uh, this book right here, The Spirit, Spiritual Parenting by Michelle Anthony. Uh, this book is phenomenal. I could have preached about 50 sermons on one chapter in this book. And so I highly recommend uh, these two resources to you as parents. There just wasn't enough time to talk about everything that uh, these books had to offer. So I want to say that quickly before we get started. So before I jump into what we're going to talk about today, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I just uh, humbly come before you uh, because you are the perfect parent. Uh, you love each one of us uh, perfectly. Uh, you are passionate about us. Uh, you see us as precious and vulnerable and worthy of purification. We're worthy of that to you. We are worth the time effort, energy, frustration, uh, patience that it takes to purify the unholiness within us and to make us new. We're worth that to you. So I just pray for those of us who came into this room dragging our feet, thinking I've screwed up again, I've made another mistake, uh, this week has been hell. I, I just pray for them that you would convince them today that they are worthy of your time and your energy, and your passion, and your efforts to make them new. And that that would just make them bold. Bold enough to enter into your throne room. Bold enough to sit in your presence and trust you to cleanse them and remove all unrighteousness from them. And, and for them to receive your love, your compassion, and your healing. I pray you help us today to understand your word and understand... Um, how to be parents. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said amen. Well, if you've been with us from the beginning of the series, you know that we've talked about a lot. We've talked about everything from uh, the dangers of smartphones uh, to the challenges that teenagers face all the way to our high calling as parents to train our children to fall in love with Jesus. And I have to tell you, and, and Rick would uh, hopefully back me up since he's right here in front of everybody, that... Uh, Talking about parenting can be overwhelming. Teaching on it, preaching on it, it can be overwhelming. But I absolutely know that being a parent is overwhelming at times. So before we jump into what, we wanna, that we're, what we're going to talk about today, uh, I just want to take a moment and ask everybody to take a deep breath. So everybody take a deep breath with me. Like four people in the front row took a deep breath. So let's try that again. Everybody take a deep breath with me. I want to remind you about something. I want to remind you what we talked about last week. I want to remind you that it's your relationship with your child that is crucial for their health and well-being. I want you to hear that. It's your relationship that is crucial. Parents, 
It's your relationship. It's not your ability to be a perfect parent. It's not your ability to make perfect decisions, to keep a perfect house, to make the perfect amount of money, or your ability to perfectly control your kids. That is not what's crucial. That is not what's vital. You are what's crucial and vital. Your presence, your compassion, your love, those are what's crucial. Being present in the life of your child is what's crucial. And so I want to remind you of that. I want to remind you that it's, that it's not perfection because we get trapped into thinking that. Like my kids are going to grow up robbing banks if I don't figure this whole time out thing, right? It's not, that's not what's crucial. Just you being present. And so with that being said, let's get started on what we're going to talk about. But before we get into the new stuff, I want to review what we talked about last week. You remember last week that I said the only person that you can control is yourself. And last week, I got exactly zero amens when I said that. And this week, same, I got zero amens, right? Because we don't like hearing that. Nobody likes hearing you can only control yourself. But that's the truth. And that's vital for us to understand, especially as parents. Because we talked about last week that uh, when we fall into the trap and we fall into the temptation of trying to control our kids, the relationship become, begins to erode. The relationship begins to break down when we get frustrated, we get flustered, we get irritated, and we clamp down and start to try to control our kids. The relationship begins to erode, and what will happen is typically one of two things. Either your child will become resentful, so they rebel. You see, a kid is designed by God to transition through life from a place of complete dependence to a place of independence. And when you clamp down on them, you try to control them, you restrict that process, and they sense that, and so they begin to resent and be angry and frustrated, and they rebel. Or they say to themselves, this is a pretty sweet gig. And they become lazy, and they never mature. They say to themselves, it doesn't matter what decision I make, because mom and dad are going to help me avoid the pain of the consequences. It doesn't matter if I get a job because I can always live in mom and dad's basement. You know, it's okay. Mom and dad will take care of me, right? But the whole idea of parenting is to take this thing that's completely dependent on you and transition it to a point that by the time it's 35, it can at least make decisions on its own and like move out, right? Sorry if there are any 35-year-olds in the room living with mom and dad. That wasn't the plan, okay? But, so what we said is control is off the table. Control doesn't work. It erodes the relationship. It doesn't work. And so uh, we said to ourselves, okay, Rick told us that our high calling is to train our children to fall in love with Jesus. That's the most important thing that we can do. And so if that's what we're supposed to be doing as parents, maybe, just maybe, our parenting style should match the parenting style of our Heavenly Father. So we went to Genesis 2, uh, verses 15 through 17, and we looked at the first father-son relationship between God the Father and Adam. And we looked at how they interacted. And what we saw was, number one, that God's deepest desire was to have a relationship with Adam. That's what he wanted. That's what he desired. But we also saw that God the Father established that relationship on a foundation of three things. 
The very first thing he did in chapter 2 was he gave Adam responsibilities. He said, Adam, you're my son. I created you. Your responsibility is to take care of the garden. Second thing he said was, Adam, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He established boundaries for his son. Why? Because he loved him. And then the third thing, he gave Adam consequences. He said, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. A lot of people got, got really excited about that. They're like, I'm so close to parenting like God. I have threatened to kill my kid for acting up in Target, right? They're like, if you touch that toy one more time, right? I've created you. I can take you out of this world, right? The old, uh, the old saying goes. And so we realized that control was no part of God's equation for parenting Adam. Because we said to ourselves, this all-knowing, all-powerful, full of wisdom, full of uh, just, just knowledge and know-how, had the capacity to prevent Adam and Eve from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but he chose not to. So then we had to ask ourselves, why? Why wouldn't he? And we realized what we talked about earlier, that God understood that control erodes relationships. And prevents them from forming. And so he gave Adam and Eve a choice. And then we said, okay, well, if that's how God does it, then maybe that's how we should do it. We should train our kids through influence and consequences. And hopefully if we do that, if we train them through influence and consequences, they'll begin to develop as an individual. They'll begin to develop independence. And then once they have developed independence, they're able to make decisions on their own, just like the vital decision to fall in love with Jesus. Because we said last week, if you can't control anybody but yourself, that means you can't make somebody else fall in love with somebody else. So as parents, we can't make our children fall in love with Jesus. We can't control that. The only thing we can do is influence and guide and pray and hope and watch and encourage and develop an independence in them, develop a capacity to make important decisions in them, to make choices so that when the time comes, they're able to make that choice. And many, many others. And so we said that's all well and good. That makes a lot of sense. But my vital question for us today is if that's how God parents. And obviously God is perfect. So that's the perfect way to parent. Why don't we parent the way God parents? Why do we keep falling into this trap of control? Why do we always default to clamping down and and forcing and yelling, nagging, threatening, belittling why do we always default to that why do we so easily fall into that and so that's what we're going to hopefully try to answer today and I have to tell you uh, based on what I've read and and just kind of what I've experienced in my four years of parenting oftentimes the reason we default to control is because we're fused with our kids refused with them so let me ask the parents in the room have any of the parents in the room ever felt like this Right? Right? I can't be the only one that's sitting at the table and I'm looking into the living room and my my son Shannon and my daughter Kara are playing together. I'm like, wow, God is so good. What a beautiful moment. Pure love. Just the way that they're looking at each other and serving one another. I mean, who knows? They might start, oh, what's happening? Right? They just go full Jurassic Park on one another, right? And they're like throwing toys at each other. And it's like WrestleMania, you know, 2017 in my living room. It's just, parenting is just like a walk in Jurassic Park. One minute you're like, this is beautiful. And the next minute you're thinking, someone's going to die today. So 
Parents, raise your hand if you've ever felt stressed or anxious. Raise your hands. Some parents in the back are like, no, I got this thing figured out. Okay, you can tune me out, the parents in the back. But yeah, we get stressed and anxious as parents, right? So here's what happens. When stress gets high, we tend to pull together. Kind of like the herding instinct with animals. When, 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 when we get uncomfortable, we try to pull together and we try to make things match. I mean, think about it. Don't you feel most at ease and most relaxed and most stress-free when everyone is acting and thinking and talking like you? Right? You're like, okay. Everyone's acting like me. I'm normal. And they're normal. Everybody's normal. Right? That's kind of what happens. But, and that's what happens when we become stressed as parents. Uh, when we become stressed as parents, that same process plays out. But here's, here's what happens. We become tempted and all too often give in to the temptation to control our kids and make them act the way we need them to act in order for us to feel less anxious. So we have fused our kids' behavior with our emotions, our anxieties, our feelings, our fears. So essentially what we've done is we've taken something that only we can control and we placed it on the shoulders of our kids and said, I can't feel better unless you stop doing this or you start doing this. I'm embarrassed because of what you're doing and I can't stop being embarrassed until you stop doing what you're doing. And you've given something that you're in control of. You're in control of your reactions, your thoughts, your behavior, and you've placed that weight and responsibility onto your child. Let me give you a couple examples. These are directly from Debbie Pincus's book, The Calm Parent. Your child seems happy and content, but you're unhappy because it, it doesn't seem like your child has very many friends. So you've noticed they're not really hanging out with people after school or uh, at the cafeteria. And you keep pushing him to invite kids over even though he doesn't want to. And she says that you're fused with him. You're confusing what he needs with what you need. You need him to have more friends so that you can feel better. And feel less anxious. So you're fused with him. Or let me give you another example. Uh, your child is acting up in public. It, I mean, is that my, nobody else's child acts up in public? I mean, don't raise your hands. You'll embarrass them. But some of them are sitting up here in the first three rows. Um, your child is acting up in public and you find yourself having an over-the-top reaction beyond what is necessary to resolve the problem. You are fused with her. You can't see where she begins and where you end. You cannot handle your embarrassment over the public display of bad behavior. You need her to stop now in order for you to calm down and in order for you to not feel embarrassed. Your emotional logic tells you that it is her job to do that for you. So you've given her control of something she can't control. Debbie Pincus actually says it like this. When you confuse where you end and where your child begins, you become entangled. When you emotionally need your child to behave in ways that won't upset, embarrass, or invalidate you, you're getting emotionally entangled. And so let's go back to God the Father. Let's think to ourselves, is that how God the Father parents us? I mean, do we really think like God the Father is in his living room, like just pacing and just rubbing his forehead and just saying, if, if Charlie Keyes does not stop sinning, I am going to literally pull my hair out. No, he doesn't do that. 
He doesn't do that because he is emotionally separated from us. And we don't like that word, separated, when we talk about our kids. But that is a healthy thing. God the Father is in perfect peace and perfect community and is experiencing perfect joy whether I continue to sin or not. Because he's following his own game plan. He gave me responsibilities. He gave me boundaries. He helped me understand the consequences. And then he allowed me to have a choice whether to abide by those boundaries or suffer the consequences. And he did that because he knew that control would void any chance of a relationship. If he made me do it, I would be his servant, but I would no longer be his son because I wouldn't have a choice. And so we have to figure out a way to do that as parents. We have to figure out a way to emotionally separate ourselves from our kids. And I've got two really high-tech tools to help us figure that out. The tools aren't in the box. The tools are the box. So don't, don't, don't be underwhelmed, okay? So these are our tools. This is me, I think. Yeah, this is me, and this is my child. If we're going to become emotionally separated from our kids, we have to understand what goes in whose box and wasn't, what doesn't belong in somebody else's box. Now, for those of you who have tuned me out because uh, you don't have any kids, uh, this still applies to you because you can change this name to whatever you want. My spouse, my boss, my coworkers, my employees, my friends. We don't just do this with our kids. We try to control other people in our lives as well. And we need to figure out what's in their box that doesn't belong as well. So if we're going to do this, what we've got to do, we've got to train ourselves and discipline ourselves when just things are going crazy and you're frustrated and your kid's acting a fool at Target. I don't know what happens at Target, what they put in the air, but my kid's acting a fool at Target. You know, uh, Channon's in this stage now where he thinks it's hilarious to hide in the clothes rack. Right, so I turn around and he's gone. I'm like, he's gone forever, and then I hear this giggle in the clothes, two, you know, two racks over, and I I pull the God card. I'm like, I will kill you if you hide in the clothes rack again. Right, so um, we have to figure out what goes in whose box. So let's just imagine just whatever crazy scenario you've experienced. We have to take a moment, take a breath, and say, okay, let's go through some questions. Let's go to those questions. First question: What am I responsible for? In this scenario. So my kid's going crazy. I'm responsible for my reactions. I'm responsible for my thoughts. I'm responsible for my words. Those are the things that I'm responsible for. Okay? I'm responsible for my child's boundaries. I'm responsible for my child's consequences. Okay? Next question. What is my child responsible for? My child is responsible for their consequences. They're responsible for their choices. They're responsible for uh, abiding by their boundaries or paying the consequences. Okay? See how we're keeping things separate. Let's go to the next question. What is my child not responsible for? They're not responsible for my reactions. They're not responsible for my emotions. They're not responsible for making me feel better because they can't control me. Only I can control those things, okay? Let's go to the next question. What can I control in this situation? Me. That one's real simple. That's all you can control. You, 
your reactions, your thoughts, how you act, how you react, whether you react. Those are all under your control. Let's go to the last question. What can't I control? My child. Now, that's really hard to say, but you cannot control your child. You can try, but you'll destroy the relationship. And so when we face situations uh, where our kids are losing it and acting a fool, we have to begin to train ourselves to say, okay, what can I control? What are the boxes? Because the temptation is just to say, stop it. If you don't stop, I'm never going to be able to show my face in Target ever again. Don't you know how embarrassed I am right now? Right? And the kid will most likely stop. But there's been some damage done to the relationship because, uh, you know, you've belittled them. You've put your emotional strain on their shoulders and they're just not strong enough to handle that because it's impossible because they can't control you. Right? And so we have to remind ourselves that our children are not responsible for making us feel better. They're not responsible for making us feel less stressed or making us feel uh, more comfortable. And when we can do that, then we stop reacting. And we start guiding and influencing through consequences. Let me give you an example. With Channon, he's four. He just turned four. He's an awesome kid, but sometimes, you know, he's, he's a four-year-old. So I don't know about your kids, but Channon kind of, he gets whiny sometimes. I don't know if your kids do that, but, you know, he'll walk through the living room and be like, the sky is too blue today, right? Or it's too cold in here. And then two seconds later, it's too hot in here. My sister keeps looking at me, right? She's touching my toys. And you're just like, I am about to scream at the top of my lungs if I hear one more whiny word, right? So I could yell at him and scream at him to stop whining or what we've started to do with Channon is give him choices. So I'll say, hey, man, come here. You're real whiny today, and I don't really like that. So here's your choices. You can keep whining, but you got to go to your room. Or you can stop whining, and you can stay in here in the living room and play. What's your choice? And see how that kind of empowering the relationship? He's getting to choose. He's getting to feel a part of the process. And if he chooses to go to his room, awesome. I don't have to listen to whining anymore. And if he chooses to stay, awesome. I don't have to listen to whining anymore. And I don't have to yell and nag and scream. And that's building in him a capacity to be independent, to think for himself, to choose consequences, and, and to hopefully, at one point, choose to fall in love with Jesus. And so if we as parents can stay emotionally separate, keep what's in your box in your box and what doesn't belong there in everybody else's box, if we can set healthy boundaries and if we can enforce loving consequences, uh, we're going to create an environment where our kids are being trained to handle the things that life are going to throw at them, the disappointment, the frustration, pain. But they're also going to be trained and developed with the capacity to think independently and make decisions for themselves and feel like they have a relationship with you so they can come to you and say, hey, I don't know how to make this decision. Can you guide me on that? Or, hey, I made this decision and these consequences are really painful. Can you help me with that? And so for the parents in the room, your next step is to sit down and look in your box. What's in your box that shouldn't be there? What have you put in your kid's box? You need to look in their box as well. What have you put in your kid's box that really belongs in your box? 
And then for all the non-parents in the room, this applies to you too, you need to look in your box. Are you dependent on your parents to make you successful and satisfied with life? Because that doesn't belong in their box. That belongs in the box with you and the Lord. What have you put in other people's box that doesn't belong there? What do you need to move into your box? And so I just want to encourage you this week to take some time to sit down and just literally imagine a box and say, okay, what's in there of mine that needs to, be, that needs to stay and what is in there that needs to be moved? Let's pray.